Am I good? All right. What's up? Hey, uh, it is good to be here. Uh, I'm grateful to be filling in for Pastor Jonathan. Uh, love our pastor. He does such a great job, and we are so um, honored to sit under his teaching. God has used him, and uh, he's earned a much-needed vacation. And so y'all pray for him. Let him rest, that God will renew him and just um, continue to lead us in such a great way. Uh, for those that don't know me, my name is Ben Brawley. Uh, I'm a member here at Schindler. Uh, also, uh, I work with college students, uh, something called BCM, which is Baptist Collegiate Ministry. And so I work with college students, try to get them plugged in uh, and on mission um, for Christ. So uh, let me say this. I've been gone, which feels like forever. I've, um, it's been like three weeks. A couple of churches I, I preached at, and then um, we were on vacation last week. But it's good to be home. Like, miss you guys. It's just good to be home. I know me and my wife, it's just been, you know, we we miss you when we're not here. And so it's just good to see your faces and just love this church and love what God's doing here. So we're going to continue in the book of Revelation. So if you want to turn there, we'll be in chapter 2. Let me ask you a question this morning. Have you ever had bad influences in your life? If the answer is no, ding, ding, you're it. What I mean is someone uh, who was a friend or an acquaintance that pressured you to do things that you knew could get you into trouble. I had plenty of bad influences in my life, and sadly, I probably was a bad influence in people's life as well. Uh, The reason uh, someone can be a bad influence is because of that word influence. And you see, influence is the capacity is the capacity to affect someone else. But to have influence, you need respect. There are plenty of people that are trying to influence you right now. Right? Ads, commercials, social media. But you ignore them if you don't respect them. Right? They don't mean anything to you. But if you respect someone, you at least consider what they say. Let me give you an example. For me, I like to eat. Anybody like to eat? All right. So I like to eat. And if, if you come up to me and, and you want to influence me and say, Ben, I've got a great place you've got to try out. I'm likely going to go. Like, I love to eat. We'll go. We'll go eat. Now, if that place wasn't that good, I don't know if I'm coming back to you. You know what I mean? I don't know if I'm going to let you be an influence in my life in such a special area of eating. Um, but another one is, is if you come up to me like, man, there's this awesome vacation spot. You've got to try this out. It's awesome. You know, if I respect you and you have influence, I'll, I'll look at you and be like, all right, so I'll check it out. You know, I'll try to check it out. Um, but my question is, what happens when someone you respect starts to lead you down a wrong path? A harmful way, a path filled with sorrows and trouble. And that's exactly what we see happening in the church here at Thyatira. This morning, we're going to continue in the book of Revelation. We're going to look at this church. There are seven churches Jesus addressed here, and Pastor Jonathan has done an awesome job of looking at these churches. So let me give you a reminder, since, you know, maybe one escaped your memory. Uh, The first week, we looked at the church at Ephesus. And the issue that Jesus had talked about there was that they had a loveless faith. They had a loveless faith. The next week, we looked at the church in Smyrna, and they actually... We're doing well. They had a strong faith. And he was saying, keep going. Keep doing this. And then last week, Pastor Jonathan looked at the church at Pergamon. And they had a compromising faith. 
And then this week, we're going to look at the church at Thyatira, which I've been practicing that word all week. I've like Google put it in, audio, I put it on my Bible, and my country keeps wanting to come out, you know. Uh, and so it's right. I think it's Thyatira, but if I say Thyatira or something like that, y'all come on back or, you know, whatever. It just, uh, just happens. So I'm going to say it right. I'm going to try my best, but give me some grace. We're in the church. Okay. <laughs> Today, I want to show you how bad influence can affect this church and how it affected this church. So I want to see how people you give respect and influence in your life should be chosen very carefully. I know some moms and dads are hitting their children, right? Listen, listen, right? Um, but an, an influence that's not aligned with Christ and his gospel can be bad and hurtful and harmful to you. And lastly, I want to show you the ultimate influence that you need to have that is above family, brother, or family always should be Jesus and his word. So let me open up to Revelation uh, 2, 18 through 29. Let me read it. Jesus says this to this church. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira... Write the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, whose feet are like burnished bronze. He says, I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that you latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual morality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation, unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart. And I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira... Who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, this, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden, only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who comes, the one who conquers, and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. He will rule them with a the rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as myself have received authority from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for uh, just the gospel and your goodness and your love for us. And Lord, I pray that you would just remove me uh, from this sermon. It's not about me. It's about you. That you would use me as a vessel to speak to your people about who you are. Help us to stand firm in the gospel. And thank you for your love that you give. And pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so let's go and let's look in what's happening in Thyatira. And what's going on here? So first of all, this is a this this church, this this place, Thyatira, is a military outpost about forty miles from Pergamos. It was a town whose business was like bronze work, wooden or not wooden bronze work, wool, linen, and purple dye. And uh, an interesting note here is Lydia in the book of Acts. You see, Paul uh, brings this woman Lydia to faith, and she's actually from here. Thought that was cool. But this town and church is small. It's small. It seems to be unimportant, right? It was a rather insignificant among the churches. But what's interesting here is Jesus writes the longest letter to this church. And this town, what they're big on it is gods, plural. 
Specifically, gods over certain things. So you have Diana, the fertility god. You have Apollo, the sun god. And, and something else about that came along with this. With these gods came festivals. Came celebrations and sexual immorality. We're all kind of put together. The culture was soaked in idol worship and immorality. All these things were knitted together in the culture. And to thrive in this culture was to partake in all of the things. The festivals, sexual morality, and pagan worship. Not only was it part of the culture, it was part of business. To be an outlier of not worshiping pagan gods or the festivals or not partaking in sexual morality would affect your income, your business. It literally would cost you not to fit in. And when we pick up this letter, we see John... As Pastor Jonathan showed us last week, he's pulling for Revelation chapter 1 and the depiction of who Jesus is and showing this church his attributes, specific attributes in reference to this church. And the first thing we see is the reference to Jesus being called the Son of God. Now this is a rebuttal, it's a clear response to idol worship and all the gods in the town. See, Jesus is the Son of God. He is ultimate. Unlike these other gods. He's not just a god over this. He's not a god over that. He is God. Period. He's final over all things. There is no fight for number one. There is not no duality battle between him and Satan. Who's going to win this whole thing? Jesus is God. He is in control. He is creator, sustainer, and savior over all creation. Period. Other religions can accept other gods and put them on their wall, worshiping or whatever. But Jesus is God, period. He deserves our devotion because He is God. Next thing we see is the eyes like a flame of fire. This depiction here is flame of fire. It indicates Jesus sees through everything. This small church in this small town, Jesus sees them and they matter. So don't miss this. This is something that's so good. When it comes to Christ, He knows all things. He sees the good and He sees the bad. Jesus is omnipresent. Which is His ability to see all should be an encouragement to us. Because a lot of time, if we're honest, when we think about God, we can fall in this category as God doesn't have time for me. We can fall in this category of God... God's got bigger things to go. Have you, have you seen uh, what's going on with our economy? Have you seen the world? Have you seen COVID? God's busy. He doesn't care. Or if he does care, he just, he'll, he'll send an angel. It'll just kind of fall away. He doesn't, it's not that important to him. And what scripture tells us and what Jesus tells us is that he does care. Amen. He absolutely cares. He goes to very, very great extent. Hairs on your head. Cast all your anxieties on me. All it's been a hard week, God. You know what I mean? All? You want them? He wants them. He cares. Talks about He keeps your tears in a bottle. I don't know how this works, but God is so big and so overall all things, but at the same time, so close more than anybody. He knows you better than you know yourself. Psalms 139 says that He knit you together in your mother's womb. He knows you. And He cares for you and He loves you. So if you're here this morning and you're like, I, I mean, I got a lot going on, but I, I, you know, people got it worse. Well, listen, I, I, I can see what you're trying to do there, but listen, God cares. You're important to Him. So know that. Know that when you pray, you can pray about the little things. 
You can pray about, hey, I lost my wallet. It's okay because God cares for you and he loves you. The other things that we see about Jesus omnipresent, it should also bring us to a healthy fear of God. Healthy. Let me, let me key in that healthy. A lot of times things is like, oh, here, God's this terrible policeman that hates me. and I, I fear him because I don't want to get hurt by him. A healthy fear of God is knowing that who God is. He's over all things. That he, he controls all things and, and he is ultimate. Right? So having a healthy fear of God. And also knowing that he sees. He sees your sin. He sees when you manipulate people and they don't know it. He sees when you cover things up. That you might be fooling everybody else, but you're not fooling God. But the next thing we see, Jesus described, our feet like burnished bronze. Which you're like, what? Feet like burnished bronze, what does that mean? Well, it might be weird to you, but to this church, it's actually really specific because they were big on bronze work. And it says Jesus saying, your work in bronze is good, but I'm unrivaled. Like, you can't compare to me. I'm perfect. I'm just. I have strength. I have glory. And we see Jesus highlighting with these fiery eyes, watching the church. Because he says, what does he say? He says, I see your good works. He says, I see the false teaching. And I see you're tolerating it. So he sees the good works. He sees their love, their faith, their patience. But he also sees they're tolerating false teaching. He's tolerating a woman he calls Jezebel. Hearing the name Jezebel, if you're familiar with the Bible, is going to take you back to the Old Testament. John here is trying to take you back. And this is just another great example of how the Old Testament and the New Testament is one book called the Bible. That you can't take things out, pick things here and do that. It is one word rent to you from God. So just encourage you that you need to know the Old Testament too. I'm making my way through Leviticus. I just finished it. I did it, okay? Thank you, Jesus. Amen? Right? Okay, if you read Leviticus, let's get, let's get some worship going. Get, y'all get back up here. All right, here we go. So just another thing of how that ties together. He's taking us back to the Old Testament. The story of Jezebel is one of sexual immorality, and it's of pagan worship. She's an influencer, like we talked about, but in all the wrong ways. Jezebel was married to this guy named King Ahab, which he wasn't a great uh, king for Israel anyways. She was a pagan woman who worshipped pagan gods, and she influenced King Ahab to build temples to their gods. Let me just say this. I didn't say this in the first service, but this says, it is so important. God gives us a reason that we're supposed to marry other believers, right? There, there's a reason because you're, you're, the person you're married to has influence on you. So if you're young out there and you're looking for a husband, make sure that you're equally yoked. That's what the scriptures tell there. That, that Christians are marrying Christians because if you're marrying someone that's not a Christian, they can influence you. They can pull you away from God. Let me say on the other side, maybe you've married somebody and they're not a believer. Or you found out later they weren't a believer. God can still work in that, still give grace and work in that. But just a reference here, it's so important to see in this marriage, she was an influencer. He was already bad, but she makes him worse. Right, you want to marry somebody that's good that makes you better, right? Okay, that's for free. Anyways, it says that because of her influence, she divided the Israelites on who to worship. They didn't know, so should we worship Baal or should we worship the Lord? And this is the type of person Jesus is talking about. Now, this, this wasn't Jezebel, probably wasn't her name, but it was a depiction of her character, who she was. Danny Aiken gives a good commentary about this woman in Revelation. He says, this woman 
was a powerful personality who had built her own fallen and kingdom in our Lord's church. She was smart, influential in personality, and powerful in speech. It was easy to join her because she had made so much sense. However, like Jezebel of old, she was evil and deceptive, domineering and scheming, idolatry and, idolatrous and sexual immoral. You know, just a little transparency here. Growing up, I don't know if you felt this, but I felt this. Growing up when I was in high school, I wanted to be popular. I wanted to be cool. I wanted to be in the in crowd. That literally tells people that I'm over like 30, okay? Right, nobody says that, right? I want to be popular, right? And that was, that was a heavy desire on me. I wanted to fit in. But one of the cheat codes ways that you could fit in and be cool was to find somebody that was already cool and start hanging out with them, right? I, I'm not, that's not advice, just, just saying. However, to do that, you usually had to change, Okay, like you can be cool and be a popular, but you've got to change some things. You've got to change the way you dress. You've got to change the way you talk. And then you've got to change the way you act. So you can fit in, be popular, be cool, right? However, for me, there was a huge cost that it cost to be popular, and that was compromise. And Pastor Jonathan talked about it last week. Compromise. For me, I had to compromise my walk with Christ. Christ wasn't cool. I had to compromise my morals, and I also had to compromise a relationship with my parents to fit in to be cool. But as adults, we usually don't take, we usually don't care too much about talking a certain way or even dressing a certain way. We don't care about those things. But we still have a desire to fit in, to be known. There's still a desire and a temptation to compromise. There's a desire to compromise to fit in at work. Somebody starts telling that joke, and it's funny, and you're, you're like, I don't want to be the Jesus guy or the Jesus girl, and like walk away or make this awkward. So you know what? I'll just compromise. You know what? I'll join in. That's okay. God to forgive me. No big deal. And so you compromise. There's a desire to compromise how you do business. You know what? I'm going to ride him up for a little bit more. I'm a, I'm a, it's just a white lie. I mean, he doesn't know. She doesn't know. It doesn't matter. You know, I'll do this, I'll do that. Not a big deal. Desire to compromise. There's a desire to compromise. This is a big one. To not follow the Spirit's leading. You know the Holy Spirit is pressing on you to talk to someone, to pray for someone, to reach out to someone, and you fight it. You know you're convicted of sin, but you don't turn to Christ. You know that you've been called to repent. You know you're called to step up and do this. To face what God has put on your heart. And you keep walking away from it because you compromise. But the last thing that we're going to talk about in compromise is there's a cultural compromise. Man, do we not live in a day where they are telling us to compromise in our culture? It's screaming at us every day. Through social media, through the news, through politics, all that stuff. It's telling us we need to change. Change with the times. There's a danger and there's a temptation to change for the culture to say that we follow se- sexual ethics of the culture that I'm going to follow the cultural norms instead of the biblical ones when it comes to sex the Bible says that it's reserved for marriage between one man and one woman and it's not to be taken lightly but today we live in a culture that says the exact opposite what you feel is your truth and so whatever you do you can, you can follow because it doesn't matter And what I want to say is, is God gives us a word that says there's truth. There's truth. 
And listen, when it comes to this, talking about sex and sexual ethics, is there's a struggle. Let, let, let's not act like there's not a struggle. What, it, what he's saying and what, what it, the Bible is saying is fight the good fight. Right? When it comes to pornography, when it comes to same-sex attraction, when it comes to all those things, there's a fight there. And it's hard. It's difficult. But he's saying, fight it. Fight for truth. There's the truth that God's given. And so the culture is yelling at us to compromise. But what Scripture is saying is, be faithful. Be faithful. So this is what is happening at Thyatira. People are compromising their faith and their biblical sexual ethics. In this church, this woman known as Jezebel, she was an influencer. She was reaching people in the church, and people wanted to fit in with her. Be liked by her. And they were compromising their faith to do it. They were willing to compromise the gospel. So here, what the problem is, is they're saying she's teaching this sexual ethics and immorality of, like, sin's not that big of a deal. Jesus, like, we, we buy the gospel, but because Jesus died for us, like, it's not that big of a deal. Like, appreciate it, Jesus, but we're going to continue to enjoy life. We're going to continue to walk in uh, our sin and maybe ask for forgiveness later. And I'm sure there were some in the church that were not following Jezebel. But look, they also weren't stopping her. They were allowing her to bring the church down. They were tolerating her false teaching. What's interesting to note here, it's not just the followers of Jezebel that Jesus calls out here. Who else does he call out? The people that were tolerating her in the church. The church was allowing for this false teaching to spread. By tolerating her, she was a disease in the church that was slowly spreading throughout the body of the church and no one stopping the spread. They're allowing the body to die. Like poison, drinking it down. Nobody's doing anything and it's slowly killing the church. But also I want you to see this. God is kind to her. God's kind to her. He wants her to repent. He says that. I gave her time to repent. I time to change. Time to, to go a different direction. Time to stop and go back to Christ. But what does she do? She chooses not to. God will bring judgment upon this woman by throwing her, what does it say, into a sickbed, and her followers will be judged as well with great affliction. Listen, let me give you a quick note here. We've got to be careful not to take God as, as someone that we're not serious about. We've got to be careful not to treat God like he's a pet that we play with when we want and then we put in the backyard when we don't want to. That we give him a treat and we, we think this and we, and we use him flippantly. God is not someone we should take lightly. We should treat him as God. He's not our genie. He's not someone here for us. We are here for him. We have to have a right view of God. That's so important. Listen, God is almighty. God is holy. And God is to be worshipped. God is who we were created to follow. And he will not be mocked. And you will reap what you sow. But I want you to see this picture. I want you to see also this picture of God. There's a God that he's not going to put up with sin. But there's also a picture of God that gives grace and mercy. I, uh, I, I preached a sermon a while back about the prodigal son. And man, I cannot just get it out of my head. It just about the grace of God and it's just it's been powerful and God has just used it in my life 
the sermon was for me the whole time. And, and so anyways, just the quick thing of the prodigal son. You have the uh, younger son, takes all the dad's money, wishes him dead, goes out, lives like in Vegas, lives it up. And is like giving up on religion, has nothing. And if you look at that story, and if you have any kind of fair mind, and, and, and you're like, okay, the dad should like not really accept this guy back. If he does, like whatever. Like he shouldn't be nice to him or whatever. And the picture here is so powerful. In the story Jesus tells, it says the father, against the culture of his time that guys didn't run, picks up his robe and runs after him with open arms and welcomes him. And the son starts in his repentant speech like he's already, like God, forgive me. He's like, bring, he's like, bring, bring the, um, bring the ring of sonship, kill the fatted calf, bring the cloak to put on him. Just welcome them back. And, and, and Jesus has given that picture to us of God's forgiveness and grace and love to us. God is not slow in keeping His promises, but He wants us to repent. He wants us to come to Him. Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and what heavy laden, and I'll give you more work, and I'll give you rest. The biggest problem a lot of us have, and the enemy comes at us, and me personally as well, is that he tries to make us pay for our sins on our own. You can't go to the Bible. You think you're going to pray to God? Why do you want to go spend time with God? You think He wants you? You think He cares about you? Look what you did to Him. He doesn't care about you. And so we set ourselves in time out for a couple of days and think that we've been in purgatory so now we can come back to God. Did you see the picture that Jesus painted? One second after you sin, you can run back into the Father's arms because of Christ. God's grace is so kind, it leads us to repentance. When you sin and you feel broken and the enemy gets in there, remember this picture of God's hands wide open and saying, Come to me. Come to me. Come to me. Was he saying perfect people? He says those that are broken, that are struggling with sin, come to me. Come to me. Because he wants to forgive you. He knows you. He knows you better than you. You don't have to hide from him. He knows. And so my encouragement there is God is serious about sin. You, sin will be paid for, either by Jesus on the cross or you in hell forever. Serious. But God is kind. Because John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that He sent Jesus to come in this world and die for our sin. Man, God wants you. Some of y'all need to hear that this morning. God wants you. He gave everything to have you. But you've got to come to Him. You've got to come to Him. God is almighty. He's holy. Verse 23, we, say, we see it says, he's talking to the Jezebel, and he says that I'm going to strike her children dead. This isn't referring to um, physical children, more of spiritual. Through her teaching, she is making children, right? She is making people that are following this false teaching. Continuing in verse 23 and 24, it says, All the churches will know that I am he who searches mine and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Jesus is saying here, look, I know her teachings. I see what she's doing. He's saying those who hold to the gospel and not the deep things of Satan, which is a play on words, because what he's saying is, like, you think that you're getting deeper with God, but actually she's making you more of a follower of Satan than follower of Christ. So that's what he's getting there. Like her own theology. He's like, but listen, hold on. Hold on to the truth. Don't follow her. 
Christians, listen to me. There's a temptation in any church to be fascinated with, influenced by, or even follow someone in a church because of their charisma, their personality, or their influence. Someone who claims to be a Christian. And we can often look at people and think they are following Christ so well that anything they say must be true. And this can be a slippery slope because of our sinful nature. The Christian life ebbs and flows. Can I get an amen? Amen. All right, three. All right. When it comes to walk with Christ, the flesh inside of us can deceive us at times. And if we're not proactive in our walk with Christ, we can slide into fleshly ways. So the influence of the other Christians can be good, but they're not perfect. They can say things that aren't biblical. They can allow pride, anger, selfishness, and greed cloud their judgment. So to follow another Christian as if they're perfect can lead you down a road of destruction. Okay, Ben, so what are you telling me here? Listen, what I'm saying as believers in Christ, we're not to point to each other, but we're to point to the one that is perfect, which is Jesus Christ. And His gospel, which is ultimate. Have you ever been around someone that's so sure of something that you're willing to go all in? So let me, let me tell you what I'm talking about. Last week we went up to the to the cabin and uh, with my family. It was like 14 or 15 people in a cabin. It was a lot. And uh, it was fun. I'm an extrovert, but man, even that is a lot. But it was fun. It was good to see my family. But we watched uh, the movie Twister. And a uh, great movie. And uh, if you haven't seen it, I recommend it. It's about tornadoes and chasing people. Uh, but But... I was talking about, and I said, yeah, you know, the star in it is Helen Hunt. And my brother-in-law, who's a very smart guy, graduated from Georgia Tech, and, uh, and just a guy that, like, knows things, really smart, really good with, like, tech and stuff like that, disagreed wholeheartedly with me. He goes, it's Jodie Foster. So, we get into a little argument, and, uh, not argument, but we were disagreeing, and I was like, no, it's Helen Hunt. And he and my sister, who traded... Uh, our relationship for a husband that day uh, said, no, it's Jodie Foster. And so I'm like, Abby. And, I, and, and so, no, I'm like, it's Helen Hunt. And this went on agreeing and disagreeing and we kept going on. So it was like, all right, well, you're going to have to do the dishes, whoever's wrong. So we have this awesome thing called Google. And so we Googled Helen Hunt, baby. <laughs> Helen Hunt, baby. Yes. And uh, I won. So... Um, my point isn't just to say I've won. Uh, my point is, is this. Here's my, my point. My brother-in-law, really smart guy. He's, he has a prestigious degree, very well-rounded, knowledgeable, somebody I respect, was wrong. He was wrong, but the way that he kept insisting that he was right, I'll be honest with you, a little secret here, I started to doubt myself. Is that Helen Hunt? I don't know. Her eyes. Maybe that's Jodie Foster. You know what I mean? I'm trying to, I started to doubt myself. But here's the, what I want you to know. The enemy works the same way. You sure? What if? What if? What if Jesus isn't the only way? What if? What if? That's what his favorite line is. You see that in Jesus' temptation when Satan's coming after him. If you are the Son of God, do this. If, if, if. And we can listen to those voices and people and we can start to think, maybe we are wrong. Maybe the culture has it right and the Bible has it wrong. Maybe, maybe we're doing this. And then we start to go down a slippery slope. You see, there could be people in the church we respect so much, who has so much knowledge, who has been faithful for so long, and they can be wrong. 
Even more than that, there can be some that are intentionally coming in to deceive you. The Bible calls them wolves. They're unbelievers in this church. They're false teachers. And because of their charisma, their jokes, and how they can articulate things, it can be easy to tolerate them and follow them. Second Peter talks about these kind of people. Second Peter 2, 1-3 says this, But there were also false prophets among the people. Just as there will also be false teachers among you, they will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the Lord's, denying the sovereign Lord who bought them. You hear that word secretly? It's not like, hey, heresy over here who signed up for this class, come on down. We're anti-Christian, anti-gospel. You, you want to be a part of Sunday school class? No, right? They're secretly, they're bringing it in, coming in the back. They're secretly bringing in these heresies. It says, many will follow them. How many? Many. Many will follow them. Will follow their depraved conduct and bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them and their destructive has not been sleeping. Do you see this? It's not if, it's when. False teachers are going to come. If not, not among us. And they're going to come in and they're going to try to bring heresies into the church. So the question for us as believers is, how do, we invo- how do we avoid being influenced by people that are false teachers? Or people that just mis- misspeak. I'm sure I've misspoke at teaching or preaching before. How do you hold me accountable to know that I'm preaching God's word? How do you know when someone's taking you down a path? When they're trying to destroy your faith? The answer is Jesus. The answer is knowing your Bible. You see... Bank tellers, how they spot counterfeit money is they don't have this book of counterfeit money that they rummage through and be like, oh, that kind of looks like this. Or they go to this special school for counterfeit money and they're able to tell. What they end up doing is they spend so much time studying the real thing, looking at every little thing on the bill, that when something is fake, doesn't feel right, the ink's off or whatever, they say, that's a fake that's a counterfeit. That's not right. It's not like the real one. It's not, the, not like this one. It's not the, not the real dollar bill. Listen to me, church. As Christians, don't let your faith depend on other people. What I'm saying is don't be a Sunday Christian. Amen. We need each other in the church. Don't get me wrong. But walking with Christ is personal and communal. We need both. However, if you only do communal walk with Christ, if you only do a Sunday or Wednesday night with Christ and you don't do personal, the enemy can wreck your faith. Do you see how these false teachers are talking? They're deceptive. They're sneaky. They're bringing it in. And if you don't know the truth, if you don't know the gospel, it can be easy. Well, if you look at Daniel here and they throw in this and then they look at this and this, he sounds confident. He sounds like he knows it. That was a funny joke. He feels sorry for me. Oh, now I'm going down a road of away from the gospel because of this person knowing quote-unquote scripture, and I don't. We need to take our faith serious. You need to own your faith. It's not your parents' faith. It's not even Schindler's faith. It's your own. If you don't take it personal, don't be, uh, don't be surprised when you fall away because you didn't take it personal. It's not our job just to hold you accountable to Christ. You need to do that as well. You need to read your Bible like it's the manual to life because it is. 
You need to be connected with God through prayer because you need to have a relationship with God. You need to feel the urgency inside of you, your spirit. Like, I haven't talked to God in a while and it, I need to get with Christ. You know what I'm talking about? That feeling where you're like, ah, I'm not walking. I need to go back. You need to know the gospel so well when someone says an anti-gospel statement in the church, you can say, fake, counterfeit, wrong. Amen. This is your personal responsibility in your own walk to Christ. Not to be misled. The other responsibility that we have here at Schindler is that we don't tolerate any false teaching that's contrary to the gospel. That means in our small groups. That means in our pulpit. That means in our discipleship. Anything to the contrary to the gospel of Jesus needs to be confronted and removed. We should view any teaching that is anti-gospel like a disease in our body that we need to kill and get rid of. I think it was John Owen that said, kill sin or sin will be killing you. Listen, it's extremely serious when it comes to false teaching. A disease that is not killed will spread slowly and will eventually kill the body, a.k.a. put out the lampstand. Turn the lights off. So what are some false teachings that are common today? Well, there's two big veins, I think, that fall in. There's all kind of offshoots of this, but I think there's two big veins that we need to be on guard, especially in our culture. One is moralism. This, one's, this one is hard because it tastes good going down. What I mean by that, if you follow the rules, if you have good behavior, if you have good manners, if you look good on the outside, suited and booted, then God loves you more. And if you don't follow the rules... You don't look good on the outside. God doesn't love you as much. You need to do more stuff for God. The only way to be right with God is through your good works. That sounds good, but it's anti-gospel. It's a false teaching. The gospel of Jesus says no one's ever been good. Welcome to (laughs) Shepherd. No one's ever been good. We are all sinners. We're all broken. We're all separated from God. But God... Who? What? But God. You were dead in your sins. You didn't care anything about God. But God intervened in your story and brought you into new life. To be born again. Because He is rich in mercy and love. That's why He sent Jesus. Because He cares for you and He wants you. He sent Jesus to come and live the perfect life. And die the perfect death in your place for your sin. To be right with God is to have your sins forgiven by turning and putting your faith in Jesus and turning from your sins. Period. It's not moralism. Another false teaching is licentiousness. I put that in there because I wanted y'all to think I was smart. You know what I mean? I always mess things up, Valentine's and stuff. Licentiousness, right? Okay. And I, it, I have like it spelled out too. So anyways, not that cool. Just a little side note. So this teaching, what is this teaching? This teaching is what you're seeing at this church at Thyatira. The teaching that Jesus died for your sins, so live it up. Monopoly. Get out of free car. Let's go. Enjoy sin. God doesn't care. He's already paid for it. No big deal. We want to have fun. Make your money. Enjoy the culture. Get into it. It doesn't matter. You think God wants you to be broke? Get in there. Enjoy it. Fun is greater than faithfulness. The gospel of Jesus Christ says that that's wrong. That sin is extremely serious. Sin is what leads people to be separated from God for eternity. There are people in hell right now because of sin. It's not funny. Sin is a direct hit against God's character, His holiness, and His word. 
To enjoy sin and think God doesn't care is unbiblical. And it goes against the whole reason Jesus came. Jesus came to save sinners. Not people that just aren't that bad. Sin will be paid for. Either on the cross by Jesus or by you in hell separated from God forever. Period. So what does Jesus tell this church at Thyatira? About messed it up there. To do with their problems. How can they continue to be a lampstand for the gospel? Verse 25, it says, Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end of him, I will give authority over the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. And when earth pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He's saying, look, here's the deal. Eradicate that false teaching and stand firm. Stand firm. That's exactly what we're called. In a culture that's always changing. Your truth is your truth or whatever. Stand firm. Stand firm on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Stand firm that Bible is God's word. Stand firm on biblical sexual ethics. Stand firm that sin is sending people to hell and the only remedy for sin is Jesus died on the cross for their sins. Stand firm. When you want to compromise at your job, when you want your friends to like you, when you think you'll make more money if you compromise, if you want to be not the Jesus guy, stand firm. If you don't want to be the person that says, I don't want to follow Jesus, the Bible is telling us to stand firm. Stand firm on Christ. Stand firm on the gospel. Stand firm on his word. Because he is faithful. The last thing that we say is he says stand firm because the end is coming. The end is coming. I, I, I was saying in the first service, if I'm just honest, I struggle with thinking like heaven just kind of seems far away. But the Bible doesn't see it that way. It's always like it's tomorrow. But we, I don't know if you do, but I, I struggle with thinking, oh, it's just far away. It says something. No, the Bible is treating it like, think about it. It's coming. It's coming. And what he's painting the picture here is it's coming. Live the life in a hundred years you wish you would have lived. Live it now. Live. Stand firm for Christ. Walk with Christ. Because the one who loves you, the one who knows you, the one who cares for you, who gave his life for you, that's who you'll be with for eternity. That's what he's saying. Maybe you're here this morning and you feel trapped. You feel trapped in your job, your school, and your friends. Maybe you're walking in sin. Maybe you're living a double life. Maybe you're believing things that aren't true. The beauty of God is he has his arms stretched out and say, come to me. You can be forgiven. You can be restored. I died for those sins. Turn from your sins. Put your faith in me. I paid for it. Come. And some of you in here need to be encouraged that Jesus sees you standing firm. This was a tiny church. This wasn't the church that had its own podcast or celebrity pastor. This was a church that you wouldn't think about much, but Jesus did. He took it very serious. It doesn't matter about the number of members in the seat, but what does matter is that this is Christ's church who he died for. He takes it very serious. Maybe you're here and you're being treated unfairly because of your faith. Because the culture is calling you unloving, unaccepted, ignorant. 
Jesus gives this encouragement. I see you. I see you. Maybe uh, people don't understand, but I see you. And I'm the only opinion that matters. But maybe this morning you've never come to Christ. The gospel is not moralism. It's not licentiousness. The gospel is that we're sinful people and that sin is going to be paid for. That sin is separated from God, but God loves you and he wants a relationship with you. And he went to a cross and died for your sins. And he says, if you'll come to him and you'll ask for forgiveness, he'll forgive you. He paid it all and he wants you. If you've never done that, you can do that this morning. I'll be down front. But this week, I, um, I watched uh, the movie Pilgrim Progress. Has anybody ever read that book? I loved it because it was a movie. Um, it made it a lot easier and it was a cartoon. So it was like right up my alley. And so uh, it's a great little cartoon on Amazon Prime. Um, and uh, anyways, it just walks through. If you have, you're not familiar with it, it's a book that John Bunyan wrote when he was in prison. And he wrote about the Christian faith. And in the book, you see the Christian, his name's Christian, and, uh, and he's walking through and he's going through all these hard times. I mean, he's, he's, he's got despair going on. He's hopelessness. Or he's, he wants to brag and be prideful. And it just walks through all the temptation. It's really, really a good, good book or good cartoon to watch um but at the end you see him come and they they have jesus king jesus with his crown on and you see christian looking and and understanding and the question that he's probably asking and, and he's thinking and maybe you've asked is is this worth it is the christian life worth it because i'm taking a lot of hits i'm taking a lot of hits right now and this feels this feels hard. This feels difficult. Is it worth it? And the picture you see there of him smiling back and of just him thinking and, and, and kind of putting out there is that it is. Christian, it is worth it. It is worth it to stand firm. It is worth it to face trials and tribulations and stay faithful to Christ. It is worth it. Church, we've got to be proactive about our own sin that we all struggle with. We need to share with each other. We need to put everything we can to be killing sin so it doesn't kill us. And we've got to fight false teaching in the church, even if it's by accident or intentional, to be faithful to Christ. Go ahead and bow your heads. I want to read you this scripture as you bow your head. Just an encouraging scripture from the Lord. As you're thinking about, can I stand firm? Is this worth it? And all these things. This is what I want you to hear. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says this. But as scripture says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined the things that God has prepared for those who love Him. Christian, it's worth it. Keep fighting the good fight. Stay loyal to Christ. Schindler, let's stay loyal to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray.